Guess what, guys? We've waited and waited through many turnings of the wheel, but it has finally turned far enough to give us season two of The Wheel of Time on Amazon Prime. In this thirdly special episode of Tarvalon Talks, we will be discussing episode three specifically. So uh, listen up, listen hard, and get ready to get spoiled because spoilers, we're gonna talk about everything. So if you have somehow found your way here to episode three of season two of Tarvalon Talks, get out of here. Go somewhere else, watch the TV show, listen to the previous episodes, because um, you've been warned. So here's Dahl, Diana, and myself talking about episode three, season two of The Wheel of Time on Amazon Prime. Okay, so if episode two was the meat of these three episodes, this episode is the fun. Maybe people will quibble with some of the scenes being less fun, <laughs> but to me, this episode is the fun. This episode starts and ends with Nynaeve's acceptance test. We get the longest cold open. Right. It's like 10 minutes or something. It's so long. Yeah. I was like, by the time the actual title card came on, I was like, wait, that was the open? Yeah. Yeah. The cold open is like the first three parts of Nynaeve's acceptance test. We start with them giving Nynaeve the spiel about the acceptance test. Then she has to take off her accepted dress or her not accepted dress, her novice dress. And her wisdom belt, which she has been wearing the whole time. They let her keep her underwear. <laughs> they do they do not make her do it clothed in the light, like in the books. She got to she got to wear her small clothes. Yes, she gets to wear her shift, which is great. Like <laughs> fine, great show. Good. Love that change. Uh, I do have a question about whether or not she's gonna get her wisdom belt back, but we shall see. They also in as part of their spiel, they make it very clear that she can't access the one power inside of the arches, which is very important for later on. <laughs> so remember that detail. Mm-hmm. Very important. Do not channel while inside the arches. Yeah. Not even like do not, like you won't be able to. No, you cannot access it. Yeah. Then Nynaeve walks up to the first arch and uh Leanne Leandrin and Sherriam channel spirit and water, I think, based on there was like a little bit of blue, which is why I think it's a little bit of water, but it's mostly spirit in order to get the arches going. She walks through. If you're facing the arches, there's left, middle, right. She walks through the left one um, to see her past. So I think of these as past, present, future fears. This is her past fear. Yeah. We get Nynaeve with her hair unbraided, flowing in the wind. Looks super cool. She's holding some um, crimson thorn root. Yeah, I think it's crimson thorn. Crimson thorn root. Yeah, it was it was what we saw that Leandrin had in the previous episode. Yeah, it's the raw form, and her hands are poisoned, which is very much worrying her. Her dad. We get to see her dad. So exciting. Did I did I call this or what previously? Because I said we're not we're not going to get the Agonor test because he was never introduced. You totally did. And when uh, I think it was. Finya or Dahl said that they had cast her parents. I go, oh, we're going to get a test of her interacting with her parents, seeing potentially when they get mm-hmm. killed off. Mm-hmm. Which is great because this was like in season one that she talked about that. So it's really cool to actually like see it happen. Boom. Yeah. Well done, Thad. Good job. It's super cool to see it happen. You had multiple predictions come true. Yes. Yeah. We are. We are savvy. I could write this show. I'm, I'm telling you. <laughs> Go join. Well, and, and you know what? And you know what? There is one thing in this episode that I would absolutely change. Not surprised. Uh, yeah, I think I agree with you, but we'll get there. Anyways. Yeah, we will get there. So we see Nynaeve's reflection in the water and we see like little baby Nynaeve. Very cute. <laughs> oh, it's so cute. So adorable. She's got to be like 10. 
she and her dad get attacked by some mercenaries, some yeah. some guys who were scary. But- Brigands, bandits. Yep. Yeah, bandits. Yeah. Uh, Nynaeve's mom pops out of the bushes and shoots them. Her hair is braided, so Nynaeve is not from Emmons Field, but they are clearly two rivers folk still. Yeah. Are they Terran Fairy? Could be Terran Fairy, could be I almost said breed. <laughs> breed. <laughs> Wrong book. You mean you mean, mean Bearlong? I do mean Bearlong. <laughs> Wrong book series. <laughs> I, I really do. The beginnings of those series are so similar. But yeah, na- they run back to their house and Nynaeve's dad takes Nynaeve into the cellar, tells her she needs to stay here and then talks to her in the old tongue um, and says the like, we go out into the land. So our children, blah, 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 that Nynaeve had told Leanne that she had remembered her dad saying back in season one. Mm-hmm. She remembered that pretty good for being a 10-year-old girl. All of that old tongue that she had no recollection of. But if, if anything goes to say with how well she remembers weaves, yeah. what does she have, an eidetic memory? Well, trauma has a way of doing two things to memory. It either etches it into your memory forever, or it warps it and distorts it or buries it. I can relate. Yeah. yeah. This is clearly etched into to 90s memory, so... I'm not surprised that she remembered the old tongue. And as like Nynaeve, baby Nynaeve gets a cleaver and she's going to go help her parents, the arches form and she hears Sherem's voice say, the way back will come but once, which is exactly what Sherem says in the books and exactly what you hear as you're doing your accepted test in the books, which I thought was very cool. She has to see, she's still like, she makes eye contact with her mom as her mom is essentially getting killed and then chooses to leave. Also, I should note that her mom's name is Elnor. Remember that. That is important. Yeah. Then she gets out of the arches, and I think it's Leanne, er, no, it's uh, Sherium pours water over her head. And I have to say, I hate cold water. I hate cold water. And there's no way that water is warm, and I would be so pissed. I would have been able to channel if I was naive, because I would be <laughs> so pissed if someone poured cold water on me just after I had had like a traumatic dream thing happen. Oh, I would be so bad. Well, I mean, she's probably really disoriented coming out of the arch. Yeah, she's disoriented. She's just watched the worst thing that had ever happened to her over again, mm-hmm. knowing like she had the agency to do something about it and having to turn her back on her parents and watch them die again. Ouch. Yep. And then she gets water dumped on her head. I would be pissed. Yeah. I would be pissed. I'd be like, this is mad disrespectful. How dare you? There would be a fire weave. It would be bad. Uh, <laughs> so then she goes through the middle arch for her present fear. The right arch. No, I thought she goes through the middle one. Left, right, middle. No, she she goes to the right. She goes to the right. the middle okay. one. The middle one's the final test. That's right. That's right. Sorry. Thank you for that. It's not an important detail, but it is a detail. But it is a detail. And if I'm going to say it, we're going to get it right. It is a detail and it will come back later. Yes, that's right. So she goes through the right one, which is the uh, present fear. And unsurprisingly, her present fear is about something bad happening to the two rivers because she's gone. She wakes up. She's in the two rivers. There has been a massive plague happening. Tam is dying in bed next to her because Tam like has boils all over his body. And he has been given crimson thorn root by the quote unquote wisdom of the village. Matt Coffin's mom. <laughs> Natty Coffin. I like how they change this. It's it's still kind of similar, but they changed it a little bit because it's it's the wisdom up from Terran Fury had come down to Edmund's field to take over since Nynaeve had left, but she basically just started indiscriminately killing people. Yeah, which is essentially what Natty Coffin is doing here. She is using the Crimson Thorn Root to kill people because she can't cure them. She says that they've written to the White Tower, but no one has shown up except Nynaeve. Nynaeve attempts to channel to save Tam, but again, can't because she's in the arches. 
And Tam is like, that's okay. Just stay with me until I die. And Nynaeve is like, I will. And then the arch shows up and she hears the way back will come but once. And has and promises Tam that she will be back, even though she presumably knows that she won't be. Well, generally, when you go through the arches, they they, they did make a point. Um, I think in this one, you don't remember anything about before coming through the arch. So she thinks mm. she's there. She's living in the now kind of thing. Got it. And that played out a lot better in the books because for Arch Three, it makes more sense with how it how it uh rolled out. Yeah. So she goes back through the arches. She does like genuinely believe that there is. A plague happening in um, the two rivers. She tells Thyestai that they need to go, and Leandrin is basically like, "Bitch, we're not your therapists." <laughs> She's like, "Don't don't burden us with your problems." <laughs> yeah, your fears are your own, bitch. Not our problem. Not our problem. Not our monkeys. Not our circus, as my aunt likes to say. Although before that, they had told her they were hers to share or not, and then they're like, "No, don't share." Yeah, they reneged on that pretty quick. <laughs> we meant the we meant the share with other people. <laughs> yeah, not us. Not us though. Not our problem. <laughs> And they also pour more water on her, poor Nynaeve. You were a wash clean. Of your sins and the sins committed against you. (laughs) (laughs) And then Nynaeve goes through the middle arch for her future fear. And this one is, at first, incredibly disorienting, incredibly confusing. Nynaeve is in a red dress. They're screaming. She's wearing a red Isodai ring. Is it a red ring? I couldn't tell the color. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a very deep ruby mm. red, almost black. Interesting. That is very interesting. We hear Lan's voice talking about how she's super strong and how she's incredible. There's a bunch of screaming, and then she is suddenly back in the acceptance test room. And can't remember anything. Can't remember anything. Yeah, covered in blood. And holding a Hidori. Yes, holding Lan's Hidori. Yes. And is just absolutely disoriented. Like, why can't I remember anything? What happened? Blah, blah, blah. Shiriam seems thrilled that she made it through, offers her the uh, accepted ring, the without the stone in it. And Nynaeve gives this incredible speech where she's like, absolutely not. If being an Aes Sedai means walking away from everything and everyone that you love, I will not be an Aes Sedai. Screw you. And they're like, if you leave, you never can come back. And she like hesitates for like a hot second and then leaves. Peace. <laughs> she sees Egwene um, and tells Egwene that she's leaving and that Egwene will be super strong and um, yada yada and doesn't need Nynaeve anymore. And then goes and is riding out. Like you can see Tarvalon in the distance, but is riding out. And Lan rides up looking like a million bucks slow-mo romance novel entry they like walk in this weird way like they kind of like curve walk to each other and like they hug each other he's like alana told me you were doing the test i came as soon as i could and she's like i couldn't do it they discuss that she's going to go back to the two rivers and he offers to go with her he she's like at first she's like what about my reign and the bond and then she's like no of course like i want you to go with me and it's like, oh, damn, like, is, are they going to really hard divert from Nynaeve's plot in the book? Right. And then all of a sudden, we see the arch. You hear a small whisper that says, the way back comes but once. Mm-hmm. And she's like, what was that? Huh? Yep. Didn't hear it. What? I, maybe, maybe I missed a detail ahead of time. But as soon as Lan goes, Alana said that Nynaeve is doing the test. I'm like. Did Alana actually know that? Uh, so, yeah, because Shiriam, Shiriam and Alana have the conversation in episode two where Leandrin is going to call for the vote. Mm-hmm. I will be honest. I was like four, four deep at that point going like, all right, something's not right here. <laughs> Something is not right here. Yeah, I was super faked out by this scene. I, the whole thing, like, I was just like, wait, 
are they not, are we not going to see what happens in there? What about the fact that she, you know, she didn't come out at first and this was weird. And then I'm just like, the longer it went, the more I was just like, mm, this is suspicious. <laughs> yeah. The, the slow-mo of landlight riding up is like, I think the most suspicious. I was totally faked by this. My husband, who I watched it with the first time was like, but there was no arch. Like she didn't come out of the arch. Like we didn't see it. And he was like, he was like immediately like, this is a dream sequence. Or like this, she's still in the arches, like before the arch even showed up. I was like, oh, you're so smart. <laughs> um, yeah. But like, as we discussed, episode two, there's so much setup in episode two for to make this fake work. And I really appreciate all of the like thought that they, they put in in the script. Oh, absolutely. Because mm-hmm. they didn't have to do that. We cut back to the accepted test room with Sherry and Leanne and Leandrin looking at the arch and the arch like fades basically. And Leanne is immediately like, well, <laughs> and leaves. <laughs> Sucks. Sherry and Leandrin argue for a little bit. I'm just fascinated by the two of them interacting given their ajas. Well, all three of them. <laughs> all three of them, given all three of their ajas. And then uh, Shirian leaves and Leandrin stands there for a little bit and then chucks a beautiful urn at the pillar. That urn was probably a thousand years old. Probably. I was so sad. I was like, Leandrin, no, not the urn. I'm also like really confused. Like, does she want Nynaeve to die or does she want her to be a Sith Lord? I see, see, because of how Leandrin pulls Egwene and Nynaeve out of the tower in the books, I think they're doing great setup for Leandrin basically going, you know what? Screw this. I'm just going to give her to Suroth. I can't do anything with this. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think Leandrin does initially want her to be a red and eventually a black sister. Like, I think Leandrin sees a lot of potential in Nynaeve and is like, weapon for the light we can recruit this for the light yeah exactly like why would i let this why would i let the light have someone this strong if i can recruit her to the dark side i do want to point out in the x-rays there is a bonus material where they show the behind the scenes making that initial scene of her falling through the third arch and it is fascinating Hmm. to watch how they did it because it was shot at a super high frame rate so they shot it like 120 frames per second which is about twice of what you would normally do which allowed them to film a whole lot more action and then when they play it back it slows it down like so it looks that otherworldly very slow motion and it's a really fascinating thing to watch so if you haven't gone in and watched it that that one is definitely worth watching if you enjoy any bit of you know cinematography and filmmaking in general i am so excited to go and watch that now because that sounds fascinating it actually does and i want to watch every behind the scenes of this show so yes absolutely that is the end of the cold open um with leandrin chucking the urn then we get the uh Aes Sedai symbol the snake eating its tail and it's sean chan time <laughs> <laughs> yeah I already could tell Doll and Thad are not thrilled about this scene. I'm so excited. This scene, I'm not going to lie, this scene soured me on the entire episode the first time. I love everything about this scene except for one detail. Yes. Understandable. I also should preface up front, I don't know when I became a Sean Chan stan because it's not okay and their culture is really fucked up. (laughs) And I recognize that. But I'm so excited about them that every scene where we get the Sean Chan is just my favorite scene. It is was really well done. I'm just really angry about one detail. Yeah, we are going to get there real quick. I just want to kind of like talk a little bit about the costuming for the Sean Chan, which is incredible. Um, we haven't really touched on it at all, but they look amazing. The masks that the soldiers wear to like 
make them look like they're grinning is super creepy. I love that the soldom are wearing armor. Like they have like a bug-like carapace because they're soldiers. And like the collar for the domine is also kind of soldier, like armor-esque because they're also soldiers. Um, I don't know if I necessarily agree with the mouth guard. I think it looks cool. I think it's kind of a misunderstanding of how the soldom or how domine work. I would um, attribute it less to that and more to an intimidating factor. Yeah, it does look super intimidating. And I also think that like, it's very clear that, like, the soldom in this scene, yes, she's being ordered around, but, like, she do- she's not, like, doing this under duress. She's not picking these girls who can channel out of a crowd under duress. Like, she's doing this because she knows this is her job, which I think is super, super cool. The mask that the voice wears and the mask that Lady Suroth wears are very insect-like, which is very true to how the Sean Chan are described in the books. Also, I know you guys were really upset by the thing that we will get to, like, we're basically burying the lead for, but the voice has an American accent. Every single Sean Chan in this scene has an American accent. Yes, they do. I was hoping for a Southern accent. It's like a slight twang. The voice has a slight twang. It's very mid-Atlantic or newscaster, Mm. like the mid-Atlantic accent. It's not quite American. It's American, but it's not American that's spoken naturally, which makes sense for the voice. Yeah. My hope is that the high blood speak with a southern draw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we haven't heard Suroth talk very much. The- like the highest of high, it's, it's kind of got that southern kind of mm-hmm. draw. Yeah. The very southern draw. Yeah. Hey, y'all, you want some sweet tea? <laughs> Would you like some sweet tea? <laughs> so, and mind you, I live in a place where I am not steeped in southern accents every day, unlike you guys. Yes, you probably don't know the difference. I don't. But I feel like the voice has a little bit like she she, there's like a little the way that she says luther pain drag in particular is very interesting the way there's like a couple of words where i'm like this is twangy it's not california i still think it sounds mid-atlantic like the the broadcast accent Mm. it does it's got a very neutral vaguely midwestern yeah it's not a california accent which is the only one i can pick out it is not a california accent and it's not an over-the-top like a British person trying to speak like an American yeah. that sounds kind of like the mix between Foghorn Leghorn and Cletus the Slack Jaw Yokel. But yes, I it was, and it was it was a very good touch. Like I am glad it was an American accent mm-hmm. because it's different enough from everything we've heard. Yeah, because well, let's be real. Every everything that we've heard so far has has been a different shade of British. Yeah, it's been fake. Well, so uh, Loghain is definitely Spanish-English because Loghain's actor is Spanish. Yeah, Loghain is very Spanish-y and Varen and Adelaide are very like Indian English. Yeah. Like they have a very, it's not quite British. Alana is also very like Indian sounding, Indian British, mm-hmm. which I, I, like, I like, but it's all been like European influenced accents. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess that's more what I meant. It's a colonial English accent. Yeah. I had a discussion at, at Dragon Con with somebody about how to Americans, there's like three types of British accents when there's like really like 40. There's so many. And I mean, like not all of these actors who are playing characters who are from the Westlands are British. Like Leanne's actress is American. And it's not, I think as an American, like, I was looking for it, so I was like, oh my god, American accent. But it's not, like, super noticeable until you hear Uno talking. 
And then Uno is so aggressively Scottish (laughs) that it like stands out as he's talking in contrast to the voice. And Uno is speaking because he gets picked out of the crowd to be the first one to swear the oaths, which he refuses to do. Feck you and your oaths. And he spits on the ground. And then he is kneeled. And then he gets impaled on the spike. (laughs) And it is incredibly graphic. Oh, yeah. I watched it the first time and I was like, oh, my God. I've watched the episode three times now, but I've only watched that scene once. Same. Not the whole scene. I've just, I've like put my hand up to the screen when I know he's about to be knelt. Yeah. Like when it gets to that point, I'm just like, "Mm." yeah. It should have been Masima. Masima is plot important. I disagree, Thad. Masima is plot important. It cannot be Masima, but it could have been any random person in that. It could have been random Shinarin soldier that was fighting with them or... One of the villagers. That- it would have been way less impactful. Yeah, they do. So so I am not angry about this choice the way you guys are, despite the fact that I love Uno dearly. We didn't get enough of him. I, I will I will be I'll be real about it. Uno is a is a minor character who he's in the right place at the right time for a lot of stuff and he provides a lot of great dialogue, but he doesn't do a lot of serviceable advancement of the story in any meaningful way. So I kind of get why they did it do i have to like it no absolutely not exactly i just really wanted to see uno appear at vale and lucas circus at some point we are not going to get the circus god damn it <laughs> don't even get me started about how much i hate the circus we did not get enough blood and bloody ashes yep mother's milk in a cup which is why i still say it should have been masima we need masima masima is plot relevant we need masima otherwise genuinely what are we doing with perrin you know what we need masima i don't like masima he can go instead i don't like masima either but i am thrilled that he is hot so (laughs) you guys i could not have told you which one was ingtar and which one was masima until you guys started talking about it Ingtar was so clear to me. I I didn't realize that the man with the arms was Masima until Fenya said something. And I was like, oh, oh, this is very different. I mean, like when they're talking, I could tell that he was Ingtar, but like looking at them standing next to each other, I can't tell them apart. They're wearing different clothes. They look very different. Their hair color's different. Is it? Those arms, doll. Apparently you noticed them a lot more than I did. I mean, they are good arms. We were too busy being upset about Uno. I was paying more attention to how well they did Uno. Like, his makeup was incredible. And they put all this effort into making him look so good and then they just... Here's what I'm hoping. Now that he has been killed the way that he has been killed, and we know how awesome of a warrior he is, maybe a certain somebody will show up in the battle at Falm. That would be nice. Are we saying that Uno is going to be a hero of the horn? Yes, that is that is what I'm saying. <laughs> you know what? He refused to be subjugated by a dark friend with the Forsaken standing right next to her. So why not? Why not? The reason I am not upset about it is I couldn't, I'm, I was happy to no longer be subjected to Uno scenes where he didn't do enough Rand land swearing. I was like, if you're not going to do his dialogue justice, fine, kill him. That was, that was my only, like, where I was okay with it. You know what's wild is I feel like I remember reading somewhere last year that they hated that that Uno's character was getting killed off because he was like busy doing other stuff and i'm like but his character wasn't killed off in season one well he gets stabbed with the dagger he does yeah it's genuinely a miracle that uno and loyal are still alive 
That is true. Yeah, we still don't know how anybody got out of Valdara. I mean, episode eight lives in this own little special place where the rules of Wheel of Time don't matter because of COVID. <laughs> it was just COVID. Because of COVID. None of it actually happened. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Anyways, we're only about 20 minutes into the episode at this point. That's true. Because I looked at how soon in the episode that happened and I went, great. It's true. After Uno is knelt forcibly onto a spike, everyone else is like, oh, not us, though. And Neil's- Except Perrin. Happily. Yeah, Perrin takes takes Perrin a hot minute, but I think Ingtar does eventually convince him. And then Perrin and Ishamayel make meaningful eye contact at the end of the scene. Then we jump to Carrion and Rand and Loghain having a really funny like conversation that just fluctuates back and forth between high tension and Loghain just being a total goofball. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, the guy playing Loghain was so good. <laughs> Alvaro Morte is incredible. He's the best. I love him so much. He is crushing Loghain. Those wild eyes and then the, how long until you ask me what you want to ask me? <laughs> is the other boy coming back? He's just so good. <laughs> oh my god. Just it's like it's like such whiplash in that scene is so good. He uh, tells Rand that he's not going to tell him anything until Rand can get him a fancy bottle of wine from Gelden. Uh, Rand is like, "How am I going to do that?" And Logan's like, "Figure it out, kid. Not my problem." So Rand turns to Celine, and we get back to the foregate. We see an actual Gleeman's cloak, which is so exciting. Um, a gl- real Gleeman. It's nice to see other Gleeman. It is nice to see other Gleeman. And somebody's getting branded for the hunt. Yep, it's a choice. I don't remember anything about branding and you swore the, the for the hunt, but not in the books. No, no. People would people would you know they'd gather up wherever and they'd swear an oath that they're hey I'm a hunter of the horn now and you know that was it basically. But to get branded on your forearm of all places, yeah, that's it's it's a choice. It's definitely a choice. It's a choice. Yeah, I was a little bit caught off guard by the branding. Not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah. I think we all were. But then I just hard pivoted to being like, is Tom going to get a new, because Tom's not going to be in season two. We already know that. Is he going to get a new outfit for season three? Because that would be exciting if we see Tom in an actual Gleeman's cloak instead of that like Western jacket that he was in. Yeah. So Rand goes to Celine and is like, I need this bottle. And Celine is like, lol, you're never going to find that here. Okay, fine. I guess I will help you get into a nobleman's party and we can steal a bottle together. Is is that where she's sitting outside at the bar? Yes, looking like a million bucks. Did you notice the little small detail there with that? Which There's a sign that's hanging above her head that's a moon and a star. Is there really? Mm-hmm. Oh, they know what they are doing with this show. I did not see that. So if you know what you're looking for, you go, oh my. I did not catch that. Yeah, that was one detail that as soon as, because she's just sitting at the table, hand propped thoughtfully on her face, and then the sign for the bar is hanging above, and it's just a crescent moon and a star. And I'm like, that's- I'm impressed you could look away from her, Thad, because she is (laughs) stunning in that scene. I was still angry about (laughs) (laughs) her. We just all have different takes. (laughs) I love it. I love it. We can jump ahead to to Rand and Celine at the party and maybe just like finish that off. Yeah. Are you ready? I don't think you're ready. For the cloak? I'm never ready for the cloak. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about the game of houses. Oh. Oh. For the, I was like, are you ready for this jelly? <laughs> I don't think you're ready. Oh, man. Okay. That scene, though, the party was amazing. Like the details and the costuming mm-hmm. and the fact that the Lady Delane is it Delane? Uh, Anvier is the one who talks to them. Delane is the one I think who gives him the invitation. Yeah. It's Delane is the one I'm talking about. She is played by a little person. Oh, cool. She was four feet tall. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Right? 
like that was amazing detail because most Korean noble women have a tendency to be very short. And who better to play a Korean noble woman than a little person? And like it doesn't called out or anything. She was just standing there next to people that were seated and they were talking eye to eye. And I was like, this is amazing. I mean, it's 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 canonically noted that, um, you know, Moraine was very short because a lot of the time in the early books, it was brought up that she was like tiny compared to land to everybody else. And now we've got like a nice visual representation of that. Yeah. Moraine is described as like a perfect porcelain doll, like several times throughout the series. Yeah. But I thought that was a very touching detail, like, and just the opulence of the whole party. Mm-hmm. But as you said, he he doesn't actually talk to Delane. No, he talks to Anvier. There was a, like, special that came out right before the season dropped um, with the costuming, the head of the costuming team and the head of the uh, wig team. Mm-hmm. And they talked specifically about Kerhian and how Kerhian costuming and, like, the design was French and Japanese, which I thought was just an inspired design choice uh, because France and Japan are obsessed with each other from a stylistic perspective. And so it makes sense that they would like combine them together and they look so cool. Everything in this scene looks so beautiful. It's gorgeous. And it just looks almost like I've imagined, like I'm sure there are details that are different, but like it looked like it came straight out of my imagination from a scene at one of these parties. Yeah. Um, The other thing that we get that comes straight out of the books is Rand's cloak, his beautiful, beautiful red cloak that's covered in gold herons. I yes. gasped when they revealed this cloak in the like special before the show. I screamed when we saw it in this episode. I was so excited. I was like, ah, I cannot believe that we got this cloak this early. It unfortunately gets destroyed later in the episode, which makes me super sad. Don't worry. It won't be the last time we see something like that. I hope not. I hope we see Rand looking like this a lot moving forward. I'm sure. Oh, he looked so good. The reason I'm focusing on the costuming and not the substance of this scene is I feel like this scene actually doesn't have a lot of substance. No, they're 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 setting up the whole Days of Tomorrow stuff. Oh, they are totally setting it up. He gets the letter from Delane. They're doing it really poorly. <laughs> I don't think they did. I think they said okay. it. Remember, Rand does not intentionally play it. No, I know. I remember the scene where he gets a bunch of invitations and then chucks them in the fire. And You see Delane, like, watch him burn her invitation. You see the other noble people like, who is this person? Like, there was a lot there, even if it wasn't spoken. Like, go back and watch the scene again. There is so much intrigue. You see people talking to each other. You see them watching what Rand's doing. You see them making note of what he does with the invitation. And I bet anything, when we see him again in the next episode, he will have more invitations. Like, it did a lot without doing much. Yeah. I will have to go back and rewatch it because, yeah, I was genuinely so caught up in the costuming and the set design uh, that I was not paying attention to the people. So I will go back now and and rewatch. Thank you. Yeah, like they showed so many people talking to each other and you can kind of kind of start to see like where the factions are coming and you watch them watch Rand and Celine moving through and then the way they both just dismiss and walk out just sets off a bunch of whispers and like the game is there even if rand is oblivious to it i'm excited to see moiraine in it next episode uh because yeah rand is so oblivious that i think it's kind of why this scene doesn't work for me because we're fall or doesn't like i didn't notice because we follow rand so much but once we get to see the master at work it'll be much clearer yeah i think like there was a lot of stuff happening around rand and he was oblivious 
like me. <laughs> He's just like, whatever, I'm here for this wine. Whatever. I don't need this. I just want this wine so that I can go on with my own thing. And then he, and then he runs off and leaves Celine behind. And misses the fireworks. <laughs> Which I'm, 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 I'm very glad that we have... Uh, and we have the illuminators if we haven't seen them yet. Yeah, because I'm like, all right, where is she? Where's my girl? Yep. Where's Aludra? Where is Aludra? I... I thought we were going to get a Ludra in that scene, and then and then it cuts back to Rand and Loghain. Um, and Loghain talks about uh, how he could how he saw Rand and remembers him in Tarvalon, and that's why he was laughing, and how Rand like is trying to not touch the source, but he can't help it, and blah blah blah. And like Loghain is like, no, you you'll never be able to repress it. It's too late, son. The wheels are set in motion. Also, the fact that Loghain is like, oh, I'm the dragon. I was like, okay. Like, the madness is gone, but I'm the dragon. I was like, okay, Loghain, sure. And he pours out all of the freaking wine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And destroys the bottle. After all of that, he just throws away the bottle, pours it all out. That's the madness. Mm-hmm. Absolutely the madness. Uh, and Loghain is like, Rand, you have to get me out of here. And that's then I will teach you. And Rand is like, absolutely not. Then we cut to what at first seems like reality of Rand going to Celine's house and Celine being like, if you ever leave me like that again, I will kill you. And turning Rand's own tricks against him and pinning him up against a door by his neck and then them banging. <laughs> um, and at first I was super confused in the sequence because it looked like she could see him channeling. And I was like, she shouldn't be able to to like this doesn't make sense you gotta you have to remember that land is is she it's a later book thing it's not though because then he wakes up and it's not real and he's burned down the house it doesn't matter it's all a dream yeah (laughs) yeah yeah it's not real i was also like maybe don't channel fire while you're gonna be having sex this does seem like a little bit dangerous well i could i could totally see that scene as being viable as a not dream sequence because you can she can tell when when he's channeling it's 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 a story centric kind of plot at one point of they're trying to like Elaine and Egwene are trying to teach Rand how to sense when they're channeling which in the books is when you're in close enough proximity to a, a an, another gender channeler only men was it only men mm-hmm. it didn't go the other way no yeah men get the yeah men get the goosebumps of uh, of a woman channeling. Yeah, men get like goosebumps. It doesn't go the other way for women. And women women can't tell at all, which the show has sort of hinted at and then also sort of, sort of thrown out the window. So sometimes I feel like the show is going being very wishy-washy or like kind of hand-wavy with the mechanics of channeling. Rafe said that the scene with Loghain, he just saw, it wasn't the power he saw, it was just the- The dust. The effects. Yeah. Yeah. Like the effects of it. I hear that and I say, then why is the dialogue like a raging sun? Because she was just pulling down power, pure power and it was causing things to glow. I, mm. I don't know. <laughs> That's, I mean, if I could sit Rafe down and ask him one question, that would actually not be the question I would ask. But <laughs> I'm like, why did you kill him? <laughs> yeah, and so Rand then uh, burns down the inn. His cloak is inside. Uh, so sad for that coat. The like red coat is inside the inn that he burns down. But he does grab the hair and mark blade. So at least he has that. So that's the Rand and Celine plot of this episode. Uh, going back, we have Egwene and Elaine continuing to hang out. They're hungover from Elaine's hooch <laughs> <laughs> and are going to go see Nynaeve. They go into her room and Shiriam is there packing up Nynaeve's stuff. Uh, Egwene is like, 
what are you doing? And Shiriam, in like the coldest and most practical voice and language possible, is basically like, Nynaeve was called to be an accepted. She went through the arches. She never came out. Tough stuff. Chin up, kid. It'll all be okay. Sorry you lost your friend. There will be lots of pain in your life, but it will make you stronger, is basically what Shiriam says. Uh, again, where are the therapists, I said I? I guess in the gray. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe that's why there's no single gray of consequence in the books. There isn't! Name one! <laughs> I feel like the gray is off from Tarvalon is going to be really mad at me. But again, name one. <laughs> Joya. Yeah, Joya, I guess. I guess. <laughs> our, gray, our gray on staff is saying not to Joya. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Our producer is like, no. Absolutely not. <laughs> we don't claim her. Egwene gets super, like, she's like, we need to go through the arches, we need to go find Nynaeve, and Elaine and Shiriam both kind of try to talk her, say, like, that's not how it works, and Egwene is just super pissed, understandably, um, and kicks Elaine out of Nynaeve's room and basically just, like, collapses against the door and holds the boot, uh, Nynaeve's boot that she had taken from Shiriam. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just, it's just a boot. <laughs> it is her, I know, like, she just, like, took one of her boots, it's like, I think Nynaeve's gonna need that. <laughs> but oh well. Leandrin is also suffering from Nynaeve's death, which is interesting, and deals with it in a very strange way by letting Matt out of his cell. Yes, but there's more to that than just letting him out. But she also tells sends him to find Egwene because she needs him without telling her what's happened, without telling him what's happened. Yes. Uh but she doesn't she's not like go find Egwene. She's like, go find Egwene if she'll see you. She's like more like Leandrin torture gaslighting of Matt. Just ugh, so upsetting to me. And because Matt does leave his cell and does go see Egwene crying in the garden. But because of all of this like psychological nonsense that Leandrin has instilled in him over the last five months, he doesn't feel comfortable going to see her. And so goes back up to his cell where he instead frees men, which is great. I love that whole scene, though, because he's like, why don't you come over here? And she's like, the door's open. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, yeah, it is, isn't it? And she's like, well, if you're not leaving, I am bye. Yeah. <laughs> and like walks out. <laughs> and he follows her, of course. Mm -hmm. As Leander and states later, Matt is deeply predictable. But that is why we love him, because he couldn't just let men go out into the world. Well, what could happen to her? So he follows Min out. They liberate some horses and some food um, and get ready for their journey. And we follow Min to a secret rendezvous with Leandrin, where Leandrin seems to have had some plan. Or we don't know what plan, but presumably it is to get Matt to fall. Yes. Whatever plan it is, Min is in on it. Yes. And for some reason, Min doing this will also mean that Moiraine doesn't have anything over Min or Leandrin anymore, which I think is doubtful and a deep underestimation of Moiraine, but good try, Leandrin. We're just trying to get everybody back in one place. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. At some point, Leandrin goes up and puts Nynaeve's accepted ring back in the dumb fire, and it melts because that's how gold works in this world, <laughs> apparently. Of course, it's how gold works. We've got <laughs> magical people channeling all these amazing powers and you're worried about the melting point of gold. It's just dumb. <laughs> I have a feeling that that thing is powered by a bunch of earth weaves and a bunch of fire weaves that make gold melt like that. It's we have magic. <laughs> okay, we'll 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 put it that way. It just still looks dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it works for me. 
Also, that 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 top floor is an OSHA hazard. <laughs> right? It so is. Someone took a book out of Star Wars building <laughs> coats because where are the railings? <laughs> no railings. No railings. As Egwene almost finds out to her peril when she comes <laughs> at Leandrin, and Leandrin is having none of it. Leandrin's like, nope, nope. We we get to see Egwene channeling some serious fire yeah without using her hands mm-hmm. that was the one thing in the first episode because alana fussed at her for not using her hands and she's like if i wanted to do it the easy way <laughs> i wouldn't have come to the tower or something like that or i didn't come here to do things the easy way yeah Egwene is determined to not use her hands to channel although she seems to throw that out the window when she goes to the arches later i think that was desperation for sure so she channels at leandrin leandrin is like nonplussed by it and then like walks her to the edge of the platform and basically tells her like if you want to survive you have to be and mean something you have to be strong and then Egwene at first seems a little bit cowed but then stands up to her like the fierce baby that she is and really should earn penance for the way that she comes at Leandrin but I have a feeling that literally nobody would give Egwene penance for how she came at Leandrin so (laughs) not even Shiriam. (laughs) Shiriam wanted to do the same thing so yep so uh, Egwene does that all of that without consequence. And I think we'll we'll wait till the final scene for the end. We'll we'll end the episode with the final scene. Yeah, we'll end the episode with that. Yeah. So then dealing a little bit more with Perrin, uh Perrin wakes up in the back of a coach and Ishamael is just there, keeping him company, like a good old pal. Yeah. He likes to watch him sleep. Yep. And put his hand on his knee. Ishamael's real creepy in this scene. Yeah, because it's just creepy. Yeah. He's super creepy. He, like, gives Perrin water, makes himself known to Perrin as also Belzaman, also, like, the person who's been torturing Perrin in his dreams, and then tells Perrin, like, oh, yeah, I know you have these wolf powers, and the more you use them, the more you belong to me and, like, the dark side, and gives this... I love this. I love this change so much yeah because in the books perrin is convinced that his wolf powers are going to make him a dark friend which i feel like he comes to that conclusion with very little evidence i think it has more to do with growing up in like the sticks and anything that even reeks of the one power is seen as evil the way that they scrawled the dragon's fang when they found out that Moraine was an Aes Sedai after bell time and things like that like basically anything like that just has that reek of not being natural and not being good and is evil and bad and like anything that's different is bad and evil I'm I'm sympathetic to it at first but he does see a lot of evidence pretty early on that the wolves are not evil I I agree that it took him a long time to get over it. Yeah. But people are stubborn. I've, especially Two Rivers people. Seems like he was uh, dealing with something else big that went on in his life, huh? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. But I, I really like the show having Ishamayel just sort of like drive this home. Yeah. I think it, it makes more sense in this narrative. Yeah. But it doesn't take long because shortly after all of this... You start to hear the wolves surrounding the caravan, and then Elias breaks him out and sends him off with a wolf. Mm-hmm. I, I did like how before Ashamael leaves, he basically just goes, I will watch your progression with great interest. And he just leaves, and you're just like, all right, man, that couldn't have come across any more creepy. Like, Ishamael's so creepy. He leaves, and then, like, within moments, Elias breaks through the door. Like... 
It's this is again more of my crack. I have no idea if the show is going for this theory of Elias and Ishamael are the same person. <laughs> They're the same. <laughs> well, we know at this point that Ishamael is just kind of letting it happen. Yeah. And Elias has blood dripping down his chin. I love that touch in this scene. It makes him look even like scarier, but also like he's like, Perrin, like, let's go. He breaks Perrin out. He gives Perrin to Hopper. That's definitely Hopper. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Also, I am slightly wondering if this whole thing is not happening in the dream. Mm. Everything from him waking up in the thing is all in the wolf dream. What makes you say that? Just because, like, why would he have been in the coach with them in the first place? Why would he let him go where the wolves are coming in? Like... Elias's blood on his face. It all feels a little dreamy, but I'm not 100%. It wouldn't surprise me. Well, Shamile did say, you're on your way to fall. Yeah. So would Perrin even know that, what that is? I mean, Shamile's there, but they're in the wolf dream. Hmm. I feel like the dream sequences have been cut pretty differently than like the regular, like real world sequences where there's like, there's weird cuts, like there's movement that doesn't make sense. There, Yeah, I'm not... I'm not sold that it is, but it wouldn't surprise me if it turns out this is... I could see that. It yeah. could totally could be. Because it just seems like he let him go a little too easy. But I think that's the point, though, to get him pointed in the direction of everybody else. We won't know until Friday. Yep. Or Thursday at 8 p.m. Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. <laughs> yep. Um, and then we get the final scene of the episode, which is uh, starts with Egwene attempting to channel at the arches. Pretty sure she's channeling the wrong weaves, though. I'm pretty sure she's channeling earth and spirit. And not water and spirit. She has no idea how to do it. She's just throwing weeds. No idea whatsoever. Yeah. Elaine comes in and is like, it's not going to work. You can't do this. You're So many people have tried and have failed. Like, you're going to get put out of the tower if you get caught. And Egwene is like, I don't care. Either help me or get out. And Elaine, like a total sweetheart, is like, we'll wait through the night and see if she comes out. Like, I'm going to go get us some blankets and pillows and we'll camp out and we'll see what happens. And I was just like, so sweet. At this point, I really thought they were wondering if they were going to end this episode with Nynaeve not coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. I'm like, well, it's going to be a really different show if Nynaeve <laughs> Yeah, <comes> just <laughs> no Nynaeve, I guess. And I was like, we know that, Ny- like, we've seen preview stuff of the three of them together. Mm-hmm. So, like, what are they doing here? But then we get into Nynaeve's better turning of the wheel, quote unquote where she and Lan are living their happy lives together in the Two Rivers. They have a daughter whose name is also Elnor, named after Nynaeve's mom, which is so heartbreaking. Yes. Perrin is there. Matt rolls up, looking like a million bucks, super fancy. Not sure where Matt got all those fancy clothes, but I am thrilled for him. Yeah. He's one of the best horse traders in the uh, in, in West Andor. Right. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I also saw online someone was like, Matt is Elaine's trophy wife in this, or trophy husband in this alternate reality, which I love that for him. I really hope that's true. Egwene is a green Aes Sedai. A green is, yeah, um, in Nynaeve's fantasy world. Um, and Trollocs are invading Saldea. She talks to Lan, who has his hair down. I was very, very like, whoa, this is a look. And then all of a sudden, their house is attacked by Trollocs. They put Elnor down in the basement, just like they did with Nynaeve when Nynaeve was a kid. And then they go out and they attack the Trollocs. The Trollocs have already killed Matt uh, and taken his eye. I was going to say, they took his eye. Mm -hmm. They took his eye, which I was like, the foreshadowing. (laughs) They um, almost immediately kill Perrin and then- With an axe. With an axe, yep. 
And then they, uh, Nynaeve watches Lan attack a couple of Trollocs and then get stabbed. And she, in a rage, accesses the one power. Inside the arches. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, my theory is that this is what wakes the arches up. I think so. All, my other theory is that her going with Lan in the beginning and like like failing the test is not actually a fear. She's not afraid of that. And if these arches are meant to show you your fears, then her future fear had to be that her future would not matter and that like she would still lose everything to the Trollocs and to the Dark One even if she left the tower. So she uh, sees Trollocs, she obliterates a bunch of the Trollocs that have killed everyone else and her daughter comes out, she sees the arch um, and hears Shiriam's voice saying the way back will come but once, picks up Elnor and goes through the arch and staggers out of the arch still as if she is holding her daughter but her daughter is gone. It's so sad. Collapses covered in blood. Yep. It's devastating. Fade to black. Oh, did they, they didn't fade to black. Like, no, no, no. I'm just. Oh, okay. Just, fade to black. That was it. Egwene and, and Elaine wake up and uh, Elaine is like, who? And Egwene is immediately like, oh my God, like, I've got you. You're okay. Blah, blah, blah. And then they fade to black. Yeah. Egwene, Egwene comes in there. Yeah. Egwene comforts her. And my last note was, is Nynaeve effing Almira? <laughs> 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 because my god was that badass yes she she is so fierce and like of she is definitely like the impossible girl like any if something is branded as impossible Nynaeve is gonna do it more so than Elaine more so than Egwene like Nynaeve is going to make the impossible possible and I love that for her just 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 remember she watched um a yellow heel break bone fever earlier uh, uh in a previous episode so she's gonna remember that week for later mm-hmm. it's gonna come up mm-hmm. yeah and that's that's it those are the three episodes super excited for episode four predictions uh, I, I think we already know the episode names i want to say mm. i don't think i've seen the full episode names they might be up somewhere any predictions for what happens in the next episode? I haven't looked at anything yet for episode four. So I watched the I watched the preview for episode four. So we're getting Moiraine and Carrion, and we're getting Ishamael breaking the seal. I have a feeling we'll get like Celine slash Leandrin's not Leandrin, Jesus. Celine slash Lanfear's origin, essentially. And we'll see, we'll actually hear what the poem is finally. Yeah. Those are my predictions. I do have one one more thing to say. When Moraine is sending Lan out and she tells him the wheel weaves is the wheel wheels and like she says it so freaking fast and I did have to laugh because I saw where Amazon Studios posted say that five times fast. (laughs) (laughs) So wheel weaves is the wheel wheels. So according to Wikipedia, the next episode is called Daughter of the Night. Oh yeah. It's Lanfear time. I'm excited. So, yeah, uh, let's just plow through the rest. So after that, we've got Damane, and then Eyes Without Pity, Days Damar, and finally, What Was Meant to Be. Oh, God, I'm not going to be ready for episode five. No, I was like, oh, God, episode five. (laughs) Oh, Damane? Yeah, we all know what's coming there. (sighs) I'm not sure I'm going to be able to talk about that episode. Like, I might just be a bucket of tears. That episode's going to be so hard. Our podcast episode is just going to be us going... (laughs) Yep. I'm just going to be screaming at the sun. Like, that episode's going to upset me so bad. Uh, yeah, that's going to be rough. I'm, like, tearing up thinking about it. Like, look at me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess we'll, uh, we'll we'll cover that in a couple episodes But when we get there. But for now, thank you so much for joining us on Tarvalon Talks. 
If you have any questions or topics you'd like to talk to us about, feel free to send us an email to producer.tvt at gmail.com, or you can join us at tarvalon.net. In our general forums, we have a special thread called Tarvalon Talks pinned at the top of the page. You can also chat with us via tarvalon.net's Discord server in the Tarvalon Talks Discord channel. Stay tuned for our next episode, where we discuss episode four, Daughter of the Night, of season two of Wheel of Time on Amazon Prime. See you next time.